Turn to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. We are going to take a, a look at one dimension, maybe two dimensions, of Matthew chapter 4, 12 through 25. It's a small amount of verses, but there's so much to cover here that there's no way we'll get to it in one shot. So we're going we're gonna to make this a two-part sermon. And we really need to do it to take our time with this because what is after this is the holy ground of the Sermon on the Mount. And if, we're not, if we are not ready, if, we're, if we don't have a, a disposition in our hearts, which is the design of chapter 4, it's to get us ready for this. Um, then it'll be lost on us. So we need to take some time with this. Let me read it to, to us, and then I'll pray, and then we'll, we'll jump into it. This is Matthew chapter 4, 12 through 25. Here we go. I'm going to put this down here. Okay. Now, when he heard that John had been arrested, that's Jesus, when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. That's the northern part of Israel. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum. That's a, that's a little village on the northwestern side of the Sea of Galilee in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. There's Matthew's favorite word, plero, the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali by way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region of the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is verse 18. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and they were casting their nets into the sea because they were fishermen. And he says to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. And they were in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called to them too. And immediately they left the boat with their father, or from their father, and they, they followed him. Verse 23, and he went throughout all Galilee, all of it, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, which is about 10 cities around Galilee there, and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Lord God, please help me to guide myself and these dear people through this passage. Um, I really, this is just, I really view this passage as important to get it right. I mean, all of them are really, but I really feel it. I feel the burden of it today. So I'm asking for your help. Um, I can't do it without you. So Holy Spirit, please illuminate this to all of us, including me, even as I'm going. Show me something that I didn't see before. Lord, help me, please. I pray all of us would be ready for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you guys, this is really a big moment for us. Um, up to this point, 
we've been preparing our hearts for this moment, really, in my mind, as a church. We've spent weeks looking at snippets of Jesus' most, I guess you could say, his most formative moments, the the things in Jesus' young life that made Jesus Jesus, that made him who he is, the things that formed him, and the events that shaped his, his life. We looked at his family tree. In the very beginning, we saw this enormous weight of destiny on his family to produce the Messiah. That was what his family was destined for. Jesus is from the family tree of David, who would become a David-like ruler to bring God's kingdom to the planet through Israel. And Matthew is saying, this is him. This is Jesus. We looked at all the horrible events surrounding his young life and his upbringing. He was born in Bethlehem, raised partly in Egypt, but also partly in Nazareth. And Matthew showed how all of this The tragedy and evil of Herod killing all those babies, um, even to the seemingly incidental name of his little village that he grew up in, Nazareth, he showed that all of this was a fulfillment, fulfilling or filling up in Jesus all the requirements and expectations of this long-awaited destiny of Israel and really of the world, the Messiah. We saw Jesus come to John the Baptist and receive this amazing affirmation of his identity from from his father in heaven when he was baptized. We saw the spirit of the father lead Jesus out into the wilderness to be tested by evil so that Jesus' moral strength would come shining through, a way of bringing that out and a way of solidifying his personal authority and character. And now, in this passage, Jesus is going public to the world. Jesus is going to reveal himself to the world. This is his coming out, so to speak. Matthew describes his reveal as, quote, a light shining into, a dar- into the darkness. Just think of the highest contrast you can think of. The blackness where you can't see the hand in front of your face to, boom, a light hits the world. Matthew is saying this was a irreversible shift in history that will never, we will never be the same after this. And indeed, we have not as a, as a, as a people and as a, as a civilization. He also says that Jesus was a light dawning on those dwelling in the shadow of darkness. This passage is all about his reveal and Matthew says that you can understand and know Jesus if you understand three things. You've got to, if you're gonna know Jesus, if you're gonna know what he wants you to know about himself, you've gotta know three things. We're probably gonna to get to one of them today, okay? But let me go through, the, I'll go through what we're gonna, this is our plan for the next two weeks. If you wanna know Jesus, then you must understand his message. You have to understand what he talked about, what he was passionate about, what was most on his mind. You know, we all have those things, you know? We all have things that we're really into, And, um, you know, there's people where it just seems like no matter where the conversation goes, it's going to eventually lead to the, to the, the pet doctrine or the thing we're passionate about or what we really want to come across or the thing that's consuming us as people, right? Uh, Matthew is saying that about Jesus. In fact, he's saying, in fact, let me just do this and you don't have to participate, but let me say this. When you think about Jesus saying something, or how about this? Go back 2,000 years ago. And you're there, a Jewish 
person in the Holy Land, and you see this crowd gathered around this house, and you learn that it's Jesus is in there, and you fight your way through the crowd because you want to hear what this guy has to say. What do you imagine Jesus saying in your head? That will, whatever it is, that will tell you a lot about what you think about Jesus, about him as a person. For some, it might be the golden rule, right? For some, it might be one, maybe you think of one of his parables. Maybe you think of the prodigal son parable, the famous one. Or maybe you think of, um, you know, this is the greatest command, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. All of those types of things. Matthew is going to give us today all of that in a summary. Everything that Jesus said, everything that he did can be fit under this theme, um, kind of this... Jesus' hashtag, I guess you could say, what he was known for, his slogan. But you also have to understand his strategy or his method, how he's going about accomplishing his mission. We'll probably dip our toe into that a little bit today and spend most of our time next week getting into that. And then you have to understand his effect, the effect he had on the world around us. But let's get in. We're going to spend a lot of time on this. What was Jesus' message? What do you, what you think, like I said earlier, what you think about the message of Jesus actually tells you quite a lot about what you think of Jesus himself. Matthew and the other biblical biographers of Jesus claim that everything Jesus said, all the parables, the Sermon on the Mount that we're going to get to in a few weeks, and we'll probably spend, just to be honest, we'll probably spend a few months in the Sermon on the Mount. It is just a, a kind of... I feel like we need to take off our sandals when we come in a few weeks because it's going to be, it's holy ground. Um, Maybe the rebukes to the religious community, um, his confrontation of their corruption, all of those things, they claim all of it, including everything he did, actually fit under one main theme. You can see it in verse 23. It says, and he went teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom. Matthew is saying that you can actually not hope to know Jesus unless you understand to know what his gospel was, okay? Everything else he said was hashtagged under gospel of the kingdom. Everything fits under this, under this theme. So you and I have been trying to get to know Jesus through the book of Matthew, and here, as Matthew presents Jesus to us, he's saying, you're not going to get very far unless you spend some time understanding that Jesus was all about the gospel. This is what drove him. In the book of Luke, Jesus said, I can't help but proclaim. He said, I must preach the gospel. I don't think, personally, I don't think it meant um, I have a duty to preach the gospel. I think he, he was so... St- he was so passionate about it. He couldn't help. It's all, we all do this. You will talk about what you're excited about. You will. Maybe not to strangers, but hey, have a meal, get to know some people, start to relax, and it'll start bubbling up. What you think, what you're excited about, what you're passionate about will start coming through. I think that's how this was with Jesus. He was all about it. So what is, what is the gospel? Um, let me, let's back up. The word gospel in the Greek is euangelion in the Greek. It's where we get our word evangelism or evangelical. 
euangelion. And interestingly enough, what you need to know for now is that this actually wasn't a religious word in the first century. This was a, um, this was a word that a government worker would say, actually. This is something that the Roman government used and used often to herald some kind of imperial proclamation of good news, like some kind of military victory, or maybe a new emperor coming to the throne was euangelion, and and the emperor or the Roman government would send out preachers, euangelia, they would go out and they would euangelion, they would preach this good news, this gospel In fact, let me read you something that was found. This is an inscription um, dated to about 9 BC um, about the power of the Roman Empire and the emperor uh, found near Ephesus. Let me read this to you. It says, the province which has ordered the whole of our life, showing concern and zeal, has ordained the most perfect consummation for human life by giving to it Augustus. By filling him with virtue for doing the work of a benefactor among men and by sending in him, as it were, a savior for us. This is talking about Caesar Augustus. A savior for us and those who come after us to make war to cease, to create order everywhere. Since Caesar Augustus, uh, his appearance has exceeded the hopes of all our former good messages. That's that's euangelia in the Greek surpassing not only the benefactors who came before him, but also leaving no hope that anyone in the future would ever surpass him. And since for the world, the birthday of this God, he was, uh, he was called, um, so gosh, my Latin is not whatever things are. I'll figure it out later. No, he was called son of God, Phileas, Deus Phileas. There you go. Challenge accepted, Paul. Deus Phileas, that's son of the divine or son of, son of the gods surpassing not only the benefactors who came before him, but also leaving no hope that anyone in the future would ever surpass him since his birthday, uh, the birthday of this God was the beginning of his euangelion, good message, his, his gospel. And there were many such inscriptions erected like this all over the Holy Land, all over the ancient world. This is referring to the good news that the war has ceased. And you know, I mean, you know the story you probably know the story. In 44 BC, Julius Caesar was murdered by Brutus and Cassius, and his best friend Mark Antony took up and went to war against him. Um, Mark Antony and uh, also, who was it? Uh, Octavian. Uh, Mark Antony and Octavian, who was Caesar Augustus's, or Caesar, Julius Caesar's adopted nephew, they went against, they launched a civil war against these murderers of Julius Caesar. Finally, they won, but then they turned on each other. Mark Antony wanted the seat of power. Octavian wanted the seat of power. They go to war, and then this huge sea battle, I think in 31 BC, right off the coast of Greece, they, they battle it out, and Octavian wins. Mark Antony and his lover and cohort from, from Egypt, Cleopatra, they run to England and Octavian becomes Caesar. He changes his name to Augustus, and he sends out this, after 13 years of civil war, turmoil, he sends out this euangelion. Good news, good news. It's over now. There's peace because I'm here, okay? And the point is that the word gospel, I want you to know, is a generic word for this is the good life. 
This is what's good. This is what will make you happy. This is what's fulfilling about life. Good, good news. In other words, this is what makes life truly worth living. If you have this, fill in the blank, you've achieved the good life. That's gospel, euangelion, good life. For example, Octavian has brought peace. Therefore, the good life is being Roman, being, a part, being on his team. Life is good if we follow Augustus, okay? That's what it's talking about. And the appropriate response for any euangelion is repent. Metanoia in the Greek. The word means basically stop what you're doing and make your decision to go get what the good life is. In other words, this message is so good, it bids you stop, rethink, reorient your life to go and get it. This is advertising 101. So are you seeing how this is taking shape? A gospel message has a few, two, at least two, but very powerful elements to it. Number one, a message that says something like, this will make you feel better. This will make you love living. This is the good life, or this will save you. And secondly, this message, a a true gospel message, forces a response. It forces a response. Stop what you're doing, reorganize and reorient your entire life to get this, to get it, to go get it. Save your money, go into debt. (laughs) You know, you need this now. You need this now. So if you put these two elements together, it says this will give you what you want. It's what it means to, 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 for you to truly live. That's the gospel. So sign up and get on board with it. That's a gospel message. All right? So what I'm telling you, or what I'm trying to tell you, is that this formula, as you, I'm sure you're all thinking this, is not exclusive to Christianity. There's gospel messages everywhere. There's, uh, there, are, there are, you know, there are evangelists everywhere, people proclaiming when you click on the TV, when you listen to the radio, when you walk outside these doors, there will be pro- proclamations wherever you go of this is it, this is what you need, stop in here. You know, when they say, get yours today, you know what they're saying? Repent, stop what you're doing and exit and get, stop in here and get this. It's 50% off. Buy one, get one free. Repent. Get get in here because this is the good life. That's what's going on. Um, In fact, any given culture, and perhaps especially ours with our technology and all the ways that we have it, getting at people, our phones that are constantly buzzing in our pockets, the notifications, if you've got them turned on, you are constantly being stimulated with messages, voices. It could be the gospel of freedom, the gospel of health and wealth, the gospel of patriarchy, postmodern gender theory perhaps, the gospel of the political right or the political left, the gospel that technology will solve all of your problems, the gospel of humanism, human rights, equality, sexuality, beauty. Today on Instagram, influencers are modern day evangelists proclaiming this is the good life. Click here. 
Let's go into the church world. The gospel can sometimes be a specific denomination or a flavor of doctrine. I'm Reformed. I'm Nine Marks. I'm Baptist. I'm Calvary Association. I'm Calvary Chap. I'm CGN or whatever the silly thing is. All of these claim to have the good life and demand that you follow to get it. Okay? That's the, we're starting real basic here. There's gospels everywhere. This is how it all works. So now, the next natural question is, what is then the gospel that Jesus is so excited about? What's the gospel that he's preaching? If we don't, and here's why I think this is important to pause this Sunday and think about this, because if we don't start with the gospel of Jesus, good chances are that we will end up with a gospel that Jesus did not preach, okay? It's really easy to do. In fact, back in the, I don't remember when it was, early 2000s or so, this was all the buzz in the church world. What is the gospel? And it was really interesting, uh, especially among Christians. In fact, I bet if I were to take a mic around to each of you and say, Tara, what's the gospel? 30 seconds, go. And I went down th- to every one of you. I bet we would have a lot, of, um, a lot of similarity, a lot of nuance, a lot of overlap, but I bet we would have also very different ideas at the, end of the, at the end of our time of what the gospel of Jesus is. So let's start with him. Um, but before we do, let me say this. The gospel is much more complicated than any buzz phrase or any line can give. Matthew's going to give us a summary statement of the gospel, but then he's going to use the rest of his book to fill out what that means. Okay? In fact, at verse 23 on, he says Jesus was proclaiming the gospel and healing every kind of disease. So there's these two kind of categories of gospel activity for Jesus. One is what he said, the things that came out of his mouth, and then what he did. And Matthew has actually gone forward to organize his material in this way. In fact, if you turn your page, if you have a red letter Bible, you'll find page upon page upon page coming up next of red That's the words of Jesus. So Matthew's going to, it's the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew's going to say, here's what it is in detail. The kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom. Chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7. And then starting in chapter 8, you'll find not so much read. More of stories of things that Jesus did. So there's five blocks that Matthew has arranged Jesus' sayings in, in the book of Matthew. There's five big chunks of his teaching interspersed with what Jesus does. Matthew is saying, here's the summary of the gospel in chapter four, but now we're going to get into the weeds of it for the rest of our time. That's what we're going to do. But if we don't understand just the summary version, we'll get things all discombobulated when we get into the Sermon on the Mount. Are you seeing why we need to park here for a second? Okay. In a sense, this is euangelion kata Matthias, that is the gospel of Matthew or the gospel of Luke. So in a sense, everything in this book is the gospel. Everything that Jesus did and said, everything, in a sense, is the gospel. But it all fits under this passionate line in verse 17. He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's it. Is that what you thought? That's the summary. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
The kingdom of heaven is here, so stop what you're doing, stop how you're living, and make your choice. That, in summary form, is the gospel of Jesus Christ that he was so excited about. The kingdom of God is here. Now it's available. Stop. Let me take this. um, Let's take this a little bit. Let's see if we can build it out. Let me take it step by step. First, kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is basilia in the Greek, and it's a very active word, kingdom. In fact, it's more of a, it could be more of a verb than a noun, actually. It's a very active word. Most scholars say the best way to think of it is the kingdom of heaven as the reign of God. Heaven is this transcendent space that's like God's space. It'd be the same as, um, you know, if you read the news, if you read read the news recently, the news captions say, um, the White House says, or Israel uh, says. Now, you know, it's, it's not saying Israel or the White House has like a mouth that talks. It's saying the Biden administration has come out with a statement. So the White House, the space, kind of represents the authority of the person that's that's in it. The same as what's talking about here. Heaven is God's kingdom. This phrase will be interchangeable. You'll hear Jesus say kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God. Same thing. But it means the active reign of God or the sphere where God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. The influence, the sphere of where his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. And this idea shows up on the first page of the Bible, actually, this idea of a kingdom through people. Let me read this to you. This is verse 26 of Genesis chapter 1. It says, Then God said, Let us us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let him have dominion, that is radah, dominion or rule, over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. The word dominion or radah in Hebrew is a, is a royal word. It, it, it belongs to, it's, it's a king type of a word. It's king and queen language. But the idea is, is that humans were made to be managers of God's world or vice regents under kings and queens, under the king of kings, ruling the way he would rule because they know him so well, because they spend time with him in Sabbath day rest. They know how to represent him on his planet, on his good earth. And they're given a mandate. We were given a mandate. Go into all the world and image God. Multiply his power on the earth. The idea is rule and reign kings and queens in the name of the king, If you are Narnia fans, this is where Lewis got his entire idea of the kings and queens of Narnia, the sons of Adam, the daughters of Eve are royal under King Aslan. Exodus 15, well, let me just say this, how'd we do? No, yeah, we didn't do really well. We didn't do well at all. We, not only did we not fulfill that purpose as Adam and Eve, or Adam and Eve did not fulfill that purpose, but they actually created, um, basically, the way they did not do well was to create their own kingdom, but without God. And this idea is kind of dumped into our genes. We all have this proclivity to make a kingdom for ourselves to sit on the throne ourselves, yet without the accountability of God, to represent, to image self rather than to image him. Our 
our purpose has been turned inward. And that, the Bible would say, is the problem with this world. It's out of whack. It's broken because of a human kingdom apart from Yahweh. Humanism, like the Tower of Babel, is an attempt to build a kingdom, the kingdom without the king. And this effort to build themselves a kingdom ultimately landed them in slavery to the king of Egypt. Exodus 15, after God um, set them free out of Egypt, Exodus 15, at the very end of that song, is actually the first place that God, is, God himself, Yahweh, is called, directly called king. The first half of the book of Exodus, this theme is, who is Yahweh? Remember chapter 3 of Exodus, the burning bush? And Moses goes to him and he says, look, the, my people, they've heard, me, they've heard my cry, or I've heard, I've heard their cry. I'm sending you to go set them free out of Egypt. And what does Moses say? Who do I tell them who you are? If I say that you've sent me, they're going to ask, who sent you? Remember? And God says, tell them I am that I am. That's where we get our term Yahweh. That's the, the formal name of God, Yahweh, I am that I am. And But that's still pretty vague, isn't it? And in the first 15 chapters, God keeps repeating this. I'm going to do this. Then they will know that I am Yahweh. I'm going to do this. Then Pharaoh will know that I am Yahweh. I'm going to do this, then the nations around will know that I am Yahweh. The whole theme is God revealing himself by how he saves, not by a class and a PowerPoint, through an experience of salvation. I'm going to show you who I am by how I save you out of this land. And by the time the, the waters come crashing back down on Egypt and Israel is safely to the other side, they sing this beautiful song all about who Yahweh is based on how he saved them. They, it's all defined now. They get it. And at the end of that song, they say, he's a king. He's the king. And then Yahweh takes them to the foot of the mountain, Mount Sinai, takes them through the wilderness, the foot of the mountain, and he cuts covenant with them. And remember what he tells them? He says, you're my treasured people. Isn't that sweet? You saw what I did. I took you out of Egypt on eagle's wings. It's very romantic, beautiful language. And I did this so you could be with me. You're my treasured people. And he said, you are a kingdom of priests. In other words, I'm a king and I am forming a new kind of people that will be marked by being under my reign. That's how people are going to know who you are. They're going to know who you are by how you obey me, by how you follow me. You're going to be the kind of person that other nations will say they're Yahweh people because they act like Yahweh. They're under his rule. He reigns over them. You see the idea of kingdom of God developing through scripture. It's where God reigns. It's the people that he rules over. So fast forward to Matthew. People that live under the reign of the king. Did, how do they do? How do they do as God's kingdom people? Yeah, they, they did really bad, actually. Really bad. Fast forward to Jesus. In Jesus, we have a new human, a God human, the king of kings, bringing his reign to bear and subdue his broken planet. Jesus is reclaiming God's world by bringing the rule of God to it. 
That is the gospel. God reclaiming his world through Jesus. Bringing the reign of God, Basilia, the kingdom of heaven. That's what it means. Traced all the way from Genesis to right now. And then he says, it's at hand. The word is engizo in the Greek, and it's, it's actually a really hard one to translate. It can either mean has arrived or is available. But the point is, it's here now. That's what Jesus is saying. The kingdom of heaven, his rule, his reign is now. It's here right now. It's available now. And the word repent tells us that this is not about territories or borders. Repentance is a, as any advertiser will know, repentance is a heart word, right? If I can get you, it's one thing to get you to use my, my toothpaste. It's one thing to say to you, my toothpaste will make your teeth white. It's another thing to say, my toothpaste will make you a certain kind of person. So repent and get it. That's a, I'm, I'm going at the heart. I'm getting your soul right there. If you want to be, if you want a beautiful smile, if you want to be that kind of a person that lights up a room with your smile, that kind of person that has an effect on people, that people want to be around. I'm talking about your, your character. Well, then use my toothpaste. See where that is? It's a gospel. Sign up for it. Go to the store and get it. Two for one. See? That's what's going on. No, I did not just buy toothpaste. If you're wondering if that's on my mind, we have plenty. We stock up. Anyways, the word repent is a heart word. He's saying God is coming to reclaim his world, the kingdom of God is at hand, through the human heart. Through the human heart. God is coming to reclaim his world by forming a new kind of people that will be reigned by Yahweh. Who's on board? This is a very, very now. Now. It's here. Now. Stop what you're doing and make your choice. Stop building your own kingdom. The kingdom of God is here. Make your choice. He's coming for the heart. So let's, let's, let's see if we can get a sentence going here. What is the gospel of Jesus then? Here's what I've got. It's the story of God taking his world back and healing it from what we've done to the place. How is he doing it? In Jesus, he's bringing his reign to bear on the earth again through every human heart. It's not that the earth doesn't matter. It does, but he's doing it through us, through humans following him. Let me read it again. It's the story of God taking his world back and healing it from what we've done to the place. In Jesus, he's bringing his reign to bear on the earth again through every human heart. Okay. Notice what the gospel is not. This is not what I like to call the golden ticket gospel. <laughs> uh, the golden ticket gospel is what I believe has become the the, the gospel of the evangelical church in the Western world. It's, it's something my professor Gary Brashears called it the John 3.16 gospel. I like the golden ticket gospel. It says something like this. You're a sinner going to hell, but God sent his son to die for your sins so that you can go to heaven when you die. Okay? Now, please hear me. I'm not saying that that message is particularly wrong. 
I'm, I'm certainly not saying that it's heretical or even unbiblical. I'm not saying you can't find that in the Bible. I'm simply saying that that is not the emphasis on the lips of Jesus when he's talking about his gospel. In fact, you will be very hard-pressed to find anything like that in the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. I'm not saying it's not true. I'm not saying it's not important. I'm saying it's not the gospel of Jesus at least. And why is that important? I think that's important for a lot of different reasons. For one, when, when, we think of the, when we think of the gospel as something to intellectually believe and ingest and sign up for so that I can go to heaven when I die, one, it's very impersonal. It makes it sound like God is a judge and he, we broke his rules, which is, again, is true. But the main emphasis in the Bible is that God is a father and we've broken his heart. Secondly, when we think of the gospel as something that will come, like the goal is to go to heaven when we die, what does that have to do with right now and the kind of good life that we could be living right now? That's not what Jesus said. He said it's at hand in Gizo. It's here now. It's something for you at least to start experiencing and to grow experiencing now and that at least culminates in heaven. Absolutely. Absolutely. But we miss out on the power of a life in Christ now if we're not under his reign and under his leadership now. We also, if you notice, thirdly, it guts out king, king or monarchy language, doesn't it? In other words, and this is, I was, I, I was a youth pastor for 20 years, and I, and I preached the golden ticket gospel for at least three quarters of those years. And here was the problem that I noticed, that I can be my own case study, is that people would sign up because they wanted their sins forgiven, and they wanted to go to heaven when they died, they died. But in between my, my retreat or my youth group to whenever they died, that had no bearing on the in-between part because it wasn't a rule, it wasn't a submission to a king. Instead, it was, okay, I got the doctrine right. I know that two plus two equals four. Therefore, when I get there, I'll be in his book, and he'll say, come on in. But Jesus said, people will come to him like that on that day, and he'll say, I don't know you. I don't know, like personally, I don't know you. Are you following me? Are you under my rule? The kingdom of heaven is a kingdom. It's a monarchy. And it requires, and the word repent requires a radical reorientation and reorganization of your identity, your motives, why you're doing what you're doing. Jesus causes us to sift through all of that stuff. And this is why I feel like we cannot go forward unless we come to grips with this church. Really, we've got to understand what, what the gospel is and what it's not. It's not that, oh, nothing in between matters. Did you know that even the Western creeds, as great as they are, they, the, if you read any of the Western creeds, they start with the birth of Jesus, the incarnation, and then they, most of them skip his entire life and they go to the end when he died on the cross and rose from the dead and ascended to the Father. And therefore, we in the West, we don't know what to do with the middle part of Matthew. We read it as kind of like um, Jesus' greatest hits. Oh, he walked on water. Cool. But what does that mean for me? Well, I guess it's just cool because he's God. I mean, if I was God, 
I'd walk on water too. And then we turn the page. But no, it's saying all of life, this is Jesus, the human, under the rule of Yahweh. Look at the effect he's having. He's taking back God's world. And we are commissioned to do the same by following him, by being a people that are under the reign of Yahweh. Are you following me with this? Really important that we get this. Notice how he does this. According to Matthew, notice his method. It's exactly like the Old Testament. After we hear this message, the first thing that Jesus, what's the first thing he does? Look at verse 18. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called to them. And immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed Jesus. Um, this is crazy. Think of, think of this. It is as weird as you think. There's these fishermen, and Jesus is just walking by the Sea of Galilee, and he saunters up like he owns the place, and he just says, he has the audacity to say to these guys, follow me. That's already crazy, and the authority, the, the audacity, but then what's even secondly weird is that they do that. They do it. They go, okay. Like fishermen in that day, they weren't the poorest of people. They weren't the richest either. It was actually a pretty good industry because this lake, the Sea of Galilee, was filled with fish. But the Romans kept upping their taxes and it was a pain in the butt. And so they had to work really hard. But they weren't very influential. But, but basically, these are just kind of the average human out on this lake working to survive. It was a big deal for them to leave. He did not mean leave for a second and let me have a quick talk with you. He said, stop what you're doing. Follow me and you'll catch people. I'll teach you how to catch people. And they, they okay, they leave their, their livelihood. This was a collective culture, which means this was the family business. You see that in James and Andrew. They're, they're with their father Zebedee. It's a, it's, a, it's a family boat. It's a family business. We're all in this together. We're surviving together as a family. The more of us, the better it will, the easier it will be. It will be. The more kids you had back then, the more well off you, you were because you could get them to work and make money and produce. And they, they leave their father in the boat. This is really radical. And we're going to get into all of this next week. The word follow me actually um, has a, a huge, massive idea attached to it when it comes to discipleship and apprenticeship that we'll, we'll get into next week. But for today, let's just first recognize that this, to follow Jesus is radical. I, I just, we need to, uh, please try to wrap your mind around this for a second. To follow Jesus is, does not mean that Christian is one of many things that you are. I live in Seattle. I'm a mom. I'm a dad. I am a business person. 
or I work at this job and I'm an American and I'm a Christian. It's not like it is, no, it is, I am, I am a follower of Jesus. This is not a democracy. This is like, take your sword out, get on your knee and say, command me. What do you want? It's a blank check. It means a complete reorganization and reorder, reordering of their lives, their priorities, their motives. In a, in, a, in a sense, they are building their own kingdom. They're just about it, hauling in fish. And Jesus comes in light of this, the context of this passage. He says, stop. The kingdom of God is here. Follow me. In other words, make your choice. What are you going to do? And what is Jesus doing? Notice he's forming, just like the Old Testament, he's forming a kind of people that will mark this kingdom. He goes right to work doing that. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Now I'm going to go find people and I'm going to begin a formation process called discipleship or apprenticeship. I'm going to start a formation process to form a certain kind of people that will be marked by my rule in their life. What is it? Yes. Well, they knew he was famous. We know from the other gospels and from here. Good question, Renee. They knew that he was a rabbi. We don't know if he, we know that, they don't know that he was the Messiah necessarily, but a very powerful rabbi that's got a big, big following. Yes, they were Jewish. It does make sense, yes. These four fishermen are Jewish and they're doing their thing. They're about their, this business. And Jesus comes up and says, stop. Make your choice. Make your choice. Let's be real. This, this might seem like duh to some of us, but functionally, this is really hard. Right? Functionally, this is really hard. I think this is, for some of us at best, this is kind of a reminder of, oh yeah, to call myself a Christian, maybe and you don't have to call yourself that, but a follower of Jesus, that's what I like to call myself. I follow Jesus. To call myself that is a reminder to me that I have given the reins wholesale of my life over to Jesus Christ. And I also understand, that's one, I also understand what he's trying to do in me. He's trying to form me into a certain kind of person. That others would go, he's a Yahweh guy. He's a Yahweh guy. He is a follow, he's a Jesus person. And if you trace this out, after Jesus rose and ascended, that's how they knew Christians. They called them, it was a pejorative term in Antioch, they called them Christians or little Christ. In other words, people who reminded folks of Jesus. When they stood before the, the council to give, uh, when they were told to stop preaching in this name, they, they gave their, their reply and they said, oh, these guys have been with Jesus. They just knew by how they talked and by how they lived. Oh, this, these guys have been with Jesus. They act like him. They remind us of him. They're under his rule. They're obedient to someone that, someone that transcends us, whether it be Rome or the Sanhedrin, the Jewish council, whatever it was. They were marked by a higher authority. Have you... This is it, you guys. This is what's before us today. 
Not, are you under his reign? But don't stop there. That's like a should. You should be. No, no. So that he can form you into the kind of human that you were always meant to be, to have the good life. Do you want this good life, this gospel of Jesus? He says, follow me. Learn from me. Start watching. Commit it to memory. Practice it. Follow me. And you will have this the kingdom, this gospel, good news, euangelion. Stop what you're doing, reorient, reorganize, follow. So, one, there's a huge cost involved here. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be guilty of what Dietrich Bonhoeffer called easy, easy grace, easy believism. Just, you know, believe that he's God, that he's sinless, that he died on the cross for your sins, that, that he rose from the dead, and here's your golden ticket. Doesn't, and just go on with your life. Do your thing. And when you die, he'll remember. He's got it in a book. Say, oh, yeah. Cliff, here you are. Come on in, buddy. That's not, no, uh-uh. I, I have to be honest with you from the front. This requires, this is a big commitment. In other words, instead of having you close your eyes and bow your heads and have you come forward, I would rather you say, why don't you take some time to think about this? It's a big deal. If you gotta think about buying a car or a house, if you gotta think about that, this is something also to think about. To discuss about with your family. What does this mean? What needs to change? If the king's coming over, what would be in line with his kingdom? What wouldn't be? And for some of you, that will mean drastic changes. Big things, big things will have to change. For others of you, it might mean little tweaks that you need to tweak. And for others of you, it, it mean, it'll be an internal sweep of your motives. Why do I do the things that I'm doing? But this is what a follower of Jesus is. And, and as, as, as imperfect as our following will be, it at least, and it will be imperfect, it will least need to start with this wholesale command me I'm dropping my nets. Here I come. I'm following. I don't even know what, that, what, this, what the future entails. That these four guys had no clue what they were getting themselves into. I said, okay, here we go. Here we go. I didn't understand a word you just said, my friend. Maybe, maybe, but that's not, well, but that's, yeah, maybe, but that's not, Matthew wrote it this way to shock you. He's trying to get you to see this is a call and effect. The decision time is now. He didn't warm, Matthew doesn't want you to think that he warmed them up. He came and said, kingdom's here. Who's on board? Sign up. Jesus is here to summon us. Listen, this is it. Jesus is here to summon us to a new way to be human, which means we need to reject at some level the other gospel messages around us. You might need white teeth. Buy your toothpaste. But don't buy your toothpaste to be a certain kind of person. You see what I'm saying? Reject that part. You might need a new phone. 
It's fine. And you might even like the new phone that you're getting. It's great. Buy that new phone if you can. (laughs) If you can afford it. Do all those things. But don't attach your identity to it. Don't say, oh, this is how I feel. This is how I, okay, Renee, I'm going to keep going now. This is, how I, this is how I identify myself and find value for myself as I'm a Mac person or I wear these kinds of clothes or I do these types of things. That part, the gospel part, this is the good life part, we reject that. We say, no, mm-mm, no, I just need some toothpaste. Thank you very much. That's it, right? I just need to pay my bills. I just gotta keep the heat on. It's not about who I am as a person, right? Okay, you understand? It's an internal rejecting that flavor of a message. I'm going to repent with those motives and I'm going to follow the king. Everything's before him. With this in mind, what is the gospel? The gospel is the story of God reclaiming his his world in Jesus and he's doing this by forming a people who are going to live under the reign of the king. That's the gospel. Let me read it again. The gospel is the story of God reclaiming his world in Jesus, and he's doing it by forming a people who are going to live under the reign of the king. What will you do with that? I feel like I have to ask you that. I have to ask myself that again, again today. Mike, forget about yesterday or the week before. What are you gonna do with this in Gizo now? Now, what will we do? We need to have discussions about this. You need to talk to your spouse about this, gently, lovingly. You need to talk to your kids. How do we parent? It goes, everything falls under this heading, the kingdom of God. Stop building your own kingdom, just like the fish. And I think Jesus today, right now, walks by the sea of humanity, just like he did with these disciples, and he calls out to all of us, follow. You want the good life? Follow me. Stop what you're doing. Follow me. And that, I believe, as a church, is what's before us today. Let's think about it. Let's pray. Let's meditate on it. Let's spend some time with him today about this.